Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catch Caught podcast. This week, we continue with our series of interviews, and we have the lovely Madeline from Brown Envelope Seeds on today, who is a botanist and has many, many stories and um, experiences in nature. So welcome, Madeline. How has your day been? Well, it's been busy. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, um, um, I've been up in the field planting out some squash plants lunch and uh, then I was looking at my diary and I thought oh I've caught at two o'clock so I ran out to the car <laughs> and struggled with the technology but we're here now yeah super um and I suppose this is probably your busy season well the busy season for selling seeds is kind of finished it's uh, you know people have their seeds now so now it's uh, we're, we're June is probably one of the quietest months um, because we've got everything in the ground planted and sales are slow. So it's a nice, it's a lovely time of year, I find, because we're just looking after the garden and, you know, turning over a few seeds, but, but um, not too many. Our busiest season is really January. Okay. Cool. Um, And what kind of seeds do you do? Mostly vegetables, but a few uh, cereals and herbs as well. Um, so we have pretty much a full range of, of vegetables. We have about two or three hundred varieties all together, I think, on the website at the moment. So I haven't wow. actually counted. I think three ent- 300 entries in the spreadsheet, but um, not everything goes up on the website. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's amazing. Um, and you were saying also about the vat on flowers. Why is that? Um, because they're a luxury item. Yeah, and thankfully vegetables aren't. But um, um, I could go there. It's just like my life seems to be more about struggling with technology and spreadsheets than growing seeds, which is frustrating. I know. I had to organ if I had to work out how much vat I owed every month on the this flower seeds would just wreck my head because um I don't know how to do any of that sort of stuff. I know. You'd be allergic to the computer. Um. Yeah. And you must have a big space then, do you, for all the different vegetables? Well, you don't need very much space for a lot of things. You know, you can grow a lot of, say, coriander seed in a square metre, you know? Yeah. Um, some things you need a bigger space because you have to have, like, four plants that um, cross-pollinate, mm. which is most of them. You have to have enough of a population that you won't inbreed them. Mm. So, say, for cabbages and things like that, you would want to have 100 plants. Now, you can have them quite close together, but that would be where the space is and you get more seed than, you know, you could sell in 10 years. So it's um, um, and, and also we have Jason growing some of the seeds now. Jason up in Clare is growing some of the seeds for us because during lockdown, we couldn't cope with demand because everyone was growing vegetables and they couldn't because of breakfast, <laughs> Brexit, they couldn't. um order them in from the UK and they couldn't buy them in garden centres so the only place they could get them was from was online and so um, we were just overwhelmed with orders and uh, and then now everybody's getting them everywhere else so it's it's quieter but um, it only would take another kind of some kind of shock like that and uh, we want to be prepared for that because there are very few seeds grown in Ireland Mm. Um, 
really the Irish seed savers and ourselves are the only people growing seeds in, a, in Ireland. Mm, and the I, rest are imported. Wow. Which is actually a bit worrying when you think about it. That it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and what so, about like food insecurity? Is that on your mind? It is, yeah. Because I mean, the 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 Department of Agriculture have just brought out a horticulture kind of white paper or whatever it's called, and I just searched it for seeds. You know, just just to search the word seed in it, and the only um the only reference to seeds in the whole horticulture paper was to do with seed potatoes. And no mention of any other kinds of seeds. So there's just absolutely no awareness of what could happen. Mm. But I'm a bit of a doomer. It probably won't happen. And there are lots of seeds within the EU. Do you know, there's actually, you can't order from the UK easily now, but you can order from lots of good companies in France and Germany and Austria mm. and wherever. But I think at this point, like we have to have fear. Like, I think it's good that you say I'm a bit of a doomer because like if we weren't scared, sure, we do nothing. Like, that's the reason I grow as well, because I'm scared. Well, obviously, like it puts me into action and then I feel the relief of the anxiety knowing I have stacks of honey because <laughs> you can live <laughs> off that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, I would st- I'd probably starve to death if I had to eat what food I grow. I mean... If I knew I wasn't going to be able to buy any food, I might be able to grow enough for myself. But at the moment, I wouldn't grow anything like enough food for myself. Yeah. So basically in that um, paper, so if if imports, exports were to go down, then we'd literally have nowhere really. Just potato seed, is it? No, we import most of our seed potatoes as well. They used to be all imported from Scotland. But now they're all coming in from the continent. There are a few small feuds in Ireland, but um, I don't think anything like enough. Wow. And what's your biggest seed that you send out? Well, the most popular one for the last two years has been the nine star perennial broccoli, Mm -hmm. um, which is a kind of perennial broccoli. It's not all that perennial, but I don't think anyone else is doing it. And uh, um, and it's not that easy to do. It doesn't produce an awful lot of seed, which is probably why seed companies dropped it. Yeah. Um, I keep doing it because people keep buying it. Um, but actually, last year in the gale, some of the plants literally cracked off in the gale, broke off. You know, so there weren't really enough plants. Mm. Um. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say what the, we sell a lot of tomato seeds as well, but all yeah. different varieties. Yeah, I got some of yours I'm growing now. I got the white cucumbers and I got a few. I got different courgettes as well. Yellow. I think I got yellow courgettes. Um, yeah. I do this thing where I will put loads of seeds out and then I'll have no labels and then I have to guess them all. But I actually kind of find, find it fun because <laughs> it makes me learn how it looks, the leaves and stuff. And I'm like, oh, damn, is that a pumpkin or a melon or a cucumber? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I did, so we'll see how they go. They're coming along anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's quite a nice summer for gardening. It was a bit slow getting going, but it's nice and dry now, and they like that, and it kind of sends the slugs underground. <laughs> yes. Um, and how 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 did your journey form into seeds? Like, was that always a love of yours, or were you growing? Or, um, well, when I was milking cows, I always had a garden anyway, for just for 
for food, you know, and because we, you know, I like growing food. And because we were poor, really, I would save some of the seeds. And then uh, when I gave up the cows, it was around the time we started Skibbereen Farmers Market. I was involved in a group that started the Farmers Market. And I was bringing in a few bits of veg and I was bringing in beef. And uh, sort of got to about February and there wasn't an awful lot to bring in. And I thought, sure, maybe I'll bring in a few packets of seeds, peas and beans and things. So then I rang the, um, the organic trusts where I'm certified organic. And I said to them, can I put certified organic on seeds? And they said, um, you have to register as a seed producer with the Department of Agriculture. And I said, okay. So I rang the Department of Agriculture and I said, I want to register as a seed producer. And they said, oh, all right, um, we'll send you out a form. And I said, well, and by the way, how many other vegetable seed producers are there in Ireland? And they said, actually none. Because even our seed savers weren't registered as seed producers at the time because they were essentially a club, I think, at the time. They didn't need to. I think they may be registered now. I don't really know. And there are quite there are more people selling seeds now. And uh, during the lockdown, too, because I had more money than I'd ever seen in my life, um, <laughs> I, I got a, another website made, um, uh, which is cd.ie, where other people can put their seeds up on it. Um, and it's it's like eBay, if you know what I mean, for seeds. And uh, and uh, so and now we do about a half dozen or more people selling seeds up there as well now. And mm -hmm. uh, so we're hoping to build that. That's my pension plan. Yeah, yeah. I'll have the bus pass in a year and three months. I can't wait. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so I'm kind of thinking, how can I ease out of uh, working eight days a week? Um, um, over the next few years and I thought well the, 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 this this website might be a way of doing it because um, uh, and it might create a kind of community of seed producers that can sell their seeds and hopefully will communicate between each other and they won't all just produce masses of kale you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and are these people like do they need to go through certification or how do we know what they're using well i asked them, well i i didn't want to confine it to people who are certified organic so i asked them to sign a pledge saying a they grew the seeds themselves and b they didn't use chemicals because otherwise you could just go on ebay and buy a load of seeds and sell it resell them do you know what i mean you could you could buy a kilo of basil seed from anywhere and sell it and you'd actually probably get rich quite quickly if you did that because it's really hard to produce basil seed in Ireland yeah. <laughs> and everybody wants it. It's really hard to So I asked people, well. and so far I actually kind of know the people, most of the people I actually know that have signed up. Um, yeah. So I don't feel the need to be checking on them too much at the moment. But if it started taking off, if it got very busy, I might actually go around and just check on people a bit, you know. And I have the power because I own the website and just switch people off if I want to. <laughs> I have the power <laughs> um, and like the basil I'm just curious because like I find it really hard to grow basil um, or just maintain it even you know like how yeah. is the flowering on that is the flowering I don't think I've seen well it does flower it does flower it flowers kind of um, kind of a bit later on in the summer than this it starts to flower and then usually what happens is then it all goes black and moldy and the seeds don't mature hmm. Um sometime around September you know it all gets a bit damp and mouldy in the polytunnel and 
the seed hasn't matured. You get the seed when it's mature is really black and shiny, and it usually gets to the stage where it's kind of brown but not quite mature, and then it'll only germinate about ten percent, and you can't really sell it then. So, um, I've been hoping that by doing it every year, anyway, like I got about a teaspoon of seed last year or the year before, and I'm growing that out again. I'm hoping that it will be kind of adapting to to my conditions in my polytunnel and yeah. maybe eventually one year i did get a crop about 20 years ago i got a great crop of basil seed and it was on to the seed savers and they said we're going out to mongolia to a charity and they really want basil seed and i said oh yeah i'll send you some of my basil seed because it's grand i got loads of basil seed um must be easy to do and i sent them like a big packet of basil seed and i never got the same kind of crop again um Wow. So that was the yeah. end. But but lots of things are really pretty easy to do. And I would recommend that your, your listeners have a go at something that they would find indispensable in, in, in a in a disaster zone, like you know, your best pea or your best bean or something like that. Um are good peas and beans are a really good place to go because no matter what you do in terms of crossing them, you still get peas or beans, you know, they'll still be edible. Whereas it, if you sort of cross your cauliflowers with your kale, you could end up with a bit, a bit of a mess. Although it would also be edible. Yeah. It's funny. Like, have you created some funky vegetables then? Not really. No. Um, I'd like to, but it's actually quite a lot of work. Um, I have done a few pea crosses and I'm on the third generation of them. I had a nice purple pea. Um. And I crossed it with a yellow one because the genes in peas are like, if you get a pea that's purple, it usually has a green gene and a purple gene. And if you have a yellow pea, it means it has no color genes, if you know what I mean. And so um, what I was hoping to do was to cross it and just get, if you just get a purple gene without the green gene, you get red peas. So I was hoping to breed a red pea variety. And I have some of the, you know, the first generation will be just, purple cross with yellow so they'll be just all kind of purpley green and yellow they'll have a purple gene a green gene and a yellow and no you know and no genes from the other one so i'm hoping that in the, the following the f3 generation that um i will get some segregating out of the red ones but they may be too close together on the genes to separate the purple from the green and it may not work at all mm. but it would be kind of fun to have red pea pods <laughs> Oh my god, it would be amazing. <laughs> it would be amazing. Yeah. But it I really love... wants to help the world. Um I mean there are more there would be more useful projects to do. Mm-hmm. Like I would like to do some plant breeding with wheat, although I don't even eat wheat anymore. I think it would be useful to create like in, in, in the UK there was a guy called Wolf who created who crossed all kinds of modern and and heirloom wheats together. And created a population which is which is working very well in dry years you know it doesn't work as well as the commercial varieties in a normally good wheat year but in a, a bit of a drought year it does better so the, the if you've got like a population as opposed to like a single year selection um you're going to have a lot more genetic flexibility in terms of droughts and and so on mm. Yeah. Um, and do you find like working so close to nature are you constantly in a state of awe like wow I like that just happened and whoa that just happened or do you kind of 
does it does it do you get those experiences yeah I do I love it um actually I really love working outside on my own I find it I just find it actually really stressful working with other people so because I can't um I can't actually I find it quite difficult to enjoy the whole nature thing if I'm dealing with employing people and stuff like that which I'm trying to do at the moment and uh, I actually think it doesn't suit me <laughs> yeah so that's why I think building up a network could be a much better long-term strategy than trying to build a personal seed empire at the moment <laughs> seed empire <laughs> oh, well. which is very unlikely no I all I I just have um at the moment, I just have one girl doing one day a week. I did have one other girl, a great girl, Marie from France, helping me three days a week. But she's just come back to France, probably because I was so difficult to deal with. And she had some, she wanted to go back. She missed her family and so on. So um, I had to let her go. Yeah. Um, but um, I think there's, 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 there's definitely scope for people to do seeds and possibly even make a living out of it if they you know um plan it and and, and get it right yeah i'm doing um parsnips now and they're like the height of doors at the moment um yeah. so I, I said i'd just give it a go and i was like when you were saying earlier about the carrot i was like where is parsnip seed <laughs> you know i was like where is it yeah. you know and then i was like oh i'm going to leave it and do a little project because I've done the bees and pea, peas and sunflowers and everything's flying. And I was just curious about the root vegetables. I was like, you're kind of mysterious. <laughs> yeah, but it's just two years. Yeah, that's the thing. You see, that's the people have the light bulb moment with there's two light bulb moments. Yeah, there's the, the light bulb moment when people go, oh, a bean is a seed. That's one light bulb moment I've had with, you know, students visiting. And the other and the other one is that some things take two years. Like your cabbages, mm. your onions, your parsnips, and so you're. Have you started to flower yet? They're flowering, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I would put. Um, is it? Are you quite sheltered where you live, or is it? Windy? There's good trees all right around. Like I'm cornered with trees, yeah. Yeah, because quite windy where I am. If I have big tall parsnips like that, I have to stake them. Or what I usually do is I put a bit of sheep wire around the whole group of them and then I do a bit of knitting with string because if I, I can often get a gale at this time of the year and they just crack off completely. That's okay. the end of your parsnip. So I would mm. maybe put a stake and just a bit of string around them or something okay. in case you get a gale. Yeah. Great. And is there... Yeah. Is there a danger of that seed when it's ready going into the ground next to it? Or how is the seed when it's yeah, actually ready? You have to be watching it. You have to be watching it nearly every day. And I suppose it'll be July before you're harvesting it, or maybe August, July, okay. I can't even remember. But it will um you'll see when and when the seeds start to go brown, um and you decide to go away for the weekend, then you, you come back and it's all on the ground. So you have to be really watching it. And the important thing is, if, and if you're not going selling it or anything, is to get the first umbels that are ripe. The big umbel in the middle, you know, now the first flower, the way they come up is you get one fl big flower on top and that's the, called the primary umbel. And then it sort of forks out and there'll be secondary umbels all around that. And the one with the best and biggest seed is the primary umbel. So if you aim to, to cut them, as soon as you see any seed falling off it, cut the primary umbel. And um, and uh, and then 
Well, you can either, or you can just cut the whole lot and they, they'll ripen on the ground. It's hard to know when the, I usually go around cutting the individual flowers as they're nearly ripe. And in a few days they'll finish drying um, if you just lay them out on the windowsill or tarp in the tunnel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But it is quite easy to come back and find the whole lot on the ground because you went away for the weekend. I know. <laughs> and with those seeds, I wonder if you left them, would they, well, they could potentially grow. Yeah, yeah, they would. Yeah, yeah. Probably could. Would. Some of them will come up anyway. Yeah. That's what um, Masanoba Fukuoka would do. He would just let them all go to. Oh, the Korean, is it? Or Jap? He's Japanese. Yeah. yeah, Japanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have that book. One Straw Revolution. Yeah, yeah. He would tend to just let things come up in the garden wherever they went to seed. Yeah. Um, the slugs great as well, but. Um, um, yeah, I haven't really tried that. I mean, I do get some coming up, but actually they don't usually fit in with my rotation if they... Although I'm not a great believer in rotations, I do sort of believe in rotating your things. I think rotations are more for big fields than for people's gardens because I think, you know, if a pest is going to be a pest, it's going to get from one bed to the next anyway. So even if you rotate your beds, it's not... I think the important thing is to, to be more like nature and have lots of things growing in the one bed. Because yeah. nature doesn't really do rotations or beds full of one thing and nothing else in it. Yeah. I'd only see that with like trees and stuff, you know, when they're self seeding, like I would have like big, like actual areas where there's loads of ashes together, loads of sycamores together, loads of, um, what were they, elms, like all together. But then obviously they don't all stay together forever. Like, um, well, they sort of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they've sorted themselves out. Um, and yeah, I'm just curious, you know, slugs. What do you do for slugs on the lovely seedlings, that the juicy ones they love? Do you have any really good? I don't have any. No, I don't have any magic remedies. Yeah. Often, if slugs take it all, like, oh, fuck it, it's just not meant to be this year. And I do it a bit later next year or yeah, yeah. do modules next year. You know, some parts of my garden are very sluggy and other parts are fine i don't really understand how they but, it's just yeah. the seedlings really but like i've used eggshell coffee ground i've used a little bit of alcohol but they love cucumbers and cucumbers are my favorite you know but do you know what they like even more than cucumbers is melons they will leave the cucumbers for the melons do you um, do melon seed yeah we do yeah yeah the water or the snake? Well, the the kind of cantaloupe melons is the ones that okay. I do, and, um, and I think the one that Jason did too was it kind of a cantaloupe. You know, they're yeah. kind of the ones that are very sweet and orange inside, but they're a bit hit and miss. Like you need a good summer for them, even in a tunnel. Yeah, yeah. I got like five melons last year, and I was mm. delighted. And my nephews and nieces were like. They couldn't believe it. But then I did snake melons and they didn't do it all. Like they got to a certain size and all the vines died and they died. And I don't know, they failed. I don't know, they just didn't do well. Um, Yeah. And what would like a typical, you know, if you have somebody employed, like what would a typical day be like on your in your seed empire? Well, <laughs> well, it depends on the time of year. 
in the in the winter you'd be just in the office either counting tomato seeds into an envelope into envelopes that's the most time consuming job that I tend to try and delegate um or you'd be packing orders which would be like an order comes in we print it off the computer and then you go to the boxes you pick out seeds put them into the envelope print out the address put the address on send it out in the post um um and in the summer you could be weeding or planting out or yeah or harvesting then of course in the late in the summer there'd be the harvesting and threshing and cleaning up the seeds so it's very seasonal and yeah. that's why you can't i can't i can't just have an office person if you know what i mean because there's virtually no office work four days a week from now till christmas from now till november there's only a small bit of office work and it'll be all gardening so yeah. anyone has to be able to do office work and gardening yeah um, and do you have like a couple of tunnels on the go? Yeah, we have two tunnels. Yeah. And do and you find it like, do you try to get in in the morning? Because it's quite hot in the day, right? Well, yeah. I mean, once you have the tunnels planted, the tunnels are pretty much all planted up now. So there isn't much work to do in them yeah. once they're planted. And the, hopefully you get that done before the weather gets hot like now. So now I would tend to go down in the morning and open them up for Soon I'll just leave the doors open all the time. But at the moment I'm still opening and closing doors. And then I'll um um I'll do any little bits and pieces either the morning or the evening that need to be done pruning tomatoes or weeding or whatever. But we do a lot of mulching in the tunnel too, so there once the stuff is in there isn't really much weeding. Mm-hmm. And then harvesting generally is fairly quick, you know, you just cut everything down, put it on a tarp and drag it out. Yeah. And do you like feed your soil? Have you any like technique you use to give the nutrition well we when we put the tunnel well the one tunnel has been there for a long time and i suppose i did use a bit of farmyard manure in the beginning but now we tend to just mulch with bits of old silage or whatever's knocking around and i think and for seed plants you don't want it too fertile because if there's too much nitrogen in the soil, they'll just produce loads of leaf and not enough flowers and seeds. So I don't like it to be too fertile. And I think there's enough, we're not taking much fertility out with the seeds, the same way you would as if you were taking out, you know, heaps of courgettes um, or something like that. You'd be taking a lot of fertility out of the tunnel. But the seeds don't take very much fertility out. So I think just adding a little bit of mulch here and there and, is it, the fertility seems to maintain itself. Mm. Lovely. Um, and would you have any like advice for anybody that would like to give back to nature? Like, would you have any advice for listeners? Oh, well, any space you're not using for growing food, plant trees, more trees. <laughs> I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, plant trees and, and encourage all the wildflowers and birds and all those things. Get rid of the cat if you can. Um, um, although I'm quite glad there's a, there's a cat my neighbour has a cat and it's catching the bunnies that would otherwise be in my garden so I'm a bit like mm, cats aren't so bad and do you mean the cat for the birds kind of yeah 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 because I um, think we are losing all our ground ground nesting birds are having a very hard time of it and cats are part of that anyway mm. as well as farming in general and would you need to have a lot of borders now for your seeds not to cross or you probably have it set up? Well, I'm lucky that I don't have too many vegetable growing neighbours. 
So okay. I just, and myself, I have, I'm lucky that the farm is kind of long and thin. So I have a field half a mile up the road where I could do a second variety that would cross with one down here. But I just do one at a time, really, because one variety at a time of the things that would cross is kind of enough. Mm. It means that I don't have tons of different kinds of cabbages and things, but, um, um, yeah, I have. It's so interesting, things. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It you is. know, like... it's, it's always interesting, and it, every year is different. Like, just never stop learning about the seeds. Good. And I'd say half of us, you know, as you said, the light bulb moment. Half of us, when we're eating things, we don't know. Like, we're actually eating seeds. You know, we don't know. Like, we're just detached yeah. from that. We just. I love our diet. Yeah, bread is seeds, isn't it? Bread. Um, beans and peas and yeah a lot of things are, are seeds yeah and sweet yeah. corns no yeah yeah well this little the little um do you know the amazing thing about sweet corn is you know the little hairy lads that that come out that that are the actual they're the stigmas oh it, the pollen grains actually land on the end of those hairy bits and the pollen grain has to grow all the way up one of those hairy pieces and in to fertilize the the, the kernel isn't that mad Wow, that's crazy. I cool. Yeah, I think as well. If I'm not, maybe I, I don't know if I'm right on this, but I think part of that is toxic to the bee or the pollinator. Something anyway about it. I remember reading. Um, no. but check it up. Um, well, they're basically wind pollinated corn, so the bees probably know to stay away from them, do they? Yeah, there's some. Somebody told me something about it. That yeah, there's some toxicity there. Um, but yeah, even like pollination, it's just like you're just like wow, like what is going on under our eyes that like you know do we pay attention to it like the mirror like what's going on like it's crazy, you know. Yeah, like if you tip pine trees now, they're shedding their pollen around this time of year, and you see clouds of pollen coming off the pine trees. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah, I have um, yeah, go on. Spinach, I'd light bulb moments of spinach. I couldn't understand what was going on with spinach. I'd see plants grow and then they'd go to seed and then half of them would die. And then I'd see seed ripening and then the seed would disappear and there'd be no seed in the end. And it took me ages to work out that there are like male and female spinach plants. And the male ones, after they've shed the pollen, they just kind of die. And uh, the female ones then have the seeds that, are, that grow in the, the leaf axles and they're small and green. You don't see them really on and then the sparrows come and eat it all before as soon as it ripens. So it's um you have to you ha have to net spinach to stop the birds eating it. But it, I didn't understand why half the plants were dying and that was because they were the males. So interesting, like it's same with the um kiwi. Is it the kiwi? You have to cross they have to be next to each other and stuff. You have to have a male and a female, yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, no, so I have a I had a kiwi and it was an enormous thing and occasionally we got about two tiny little cherry sized kiwis, and it was kind of taken over the world. So we cut it back this year, thinking it'll grow again, but it just died. And um, so I have two more little tiny kiwis that are supposed to be a male and a female. Let's see, maybe eventually I'll have a kiwi before I die. <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> um, and what's your kind of favorite kind of? Like since all your years working in nature, have you any kind of favorite memory or favorite memory or enjoyable work you did? 
don't know. I suppose every year, like there's nothing like digging your first potato and picking your first ripe tomato. They're the kind of the things, the little things that I, I'll be thinking about, you know. Um, yeah. I remember. Um, I'm I'm thinking about a. I did grow a watermelon once, about um, thirty years ago, because my daughter was a baby. Holly was a baby, and uh, and there's a picture of her holding the watermelon. It struck me this year. I've never grown a watermelon since, or never succeeded, and so I have some watermelon plants this year. I'm hoping we get a watermelon this year. Oh, super! But um, still, there's nothing like the first new potatoes that you fork out of the ground, really, except yeah. for the yeah. I actually saw my first um tomato yesterday. It's green, like, but I just saw it, and I was like, oh my god! It's like that feeling of, I don't know, it's like hope, or like you're like, yay! It's like. We have food. I guess it's like actually an ancestral thing where you're like, we have sustenance, you know, and it brings that sense of dopamine, I guess, into your brain. You're like, yay, food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you kind of, when you're gardening, you kind of, you want to live forever because you want to see each crop, you know, mature. It gives you a sense of a future and and uh, a part, uh, something to look forward to, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think people... I mean, it must be quite hard to be doing a job that you don't like somewhere or something like that. that and to see a future would be depressing, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, just you know, um, putting cars together. or yeah. Especially, yeah. especially if you're doing something that's actually contributing to destroying the planet. I know. And you don't feel you have any choice because you have a mortgage to pay and family to feed or whatever. Yeah. 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 So I do feel very blessed. I do think that in the end, We'll all have to just go home and grow vegetables and not drive cars and we probably won't be able to do Zoom meetings and we might be lucky to have a phone that works at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd say we're going backwards. Um forwards but backwards, you know. Um Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um because I think even in that lockdown, you know, there was days where the shelves were empty and people were like, whoa, I actually maybe need to grow food, you know? Yeah, people did get a bit bit doomerish during the lockdown. And also, like in February, when there were no tomatoes in the supermarkets for like a few days, everyone was buying tomato seeds. I was delighted, but I was like, you're not going to have tomatoes next February. <laughs> I mean, no matter how many seeds you buy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some nice blocks of tomato sauce in the freezer. But that's actually, we, we had tomato soup today. Um, we still have a few that I, I freeze the, you know, the takeaway containers. Yeah. Um, when we take the seeds out of the tomatoes, I cook them down and freeze them in blocks. And it's very nice this time of the year to have old tomato soup from last year. But you kind of want to finish them up before the fresh tomatoes come. Mm. And do you, you keep the seed then freeze the tomato sauce? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And is it really yeah. messy getting the seeds? Is that kind of a messier job? Well, the, the, you can do it a number of different ways, but actually the the easiest way is just literally cut them in half across them, if you know what I mean, that, so that this you can get at the seed cavities and just squeeze the seeds into a jam jar and then throw the rest of the tomato into a pot um, that you have on cooking low. And, you, you, you know, the, so then at the end of the day, you've got like your jam jars of seed um, on the windowsill, go a bit mouldy, and then you can wash off all that jelly and everything. 
very good. So um, it is, it's quite a labor intensive. Yeah. Very good. But I love tomatoes. Mm, they're delicious. Oh my God. I love the little orange ones, the sun, sun something, I think. Sun gold, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Problem. Um, And do you think, um, you know, the way they were saying we've only so many harvests left, I don't know what they're saying, 60 harvests. Do you think we're close, like as in the soil or do you think, do you think we have a chance? Well, I think the soil, like we've been farming in Ireland for, for about 5,000, 7,000 years, 5,000, no, about 5,000 years we've been farming in Ireland. And it's only since World War Two really, that we started using chemical fertilizers and machinery and destroying the soil. Now, we may have wrecked the soil a bit in between, but I don't see any deterioration in my soil um, over the last 30 years um, because I haven't, I did, I have a rotavator and I don't use it much, but I think if I did go out and trash the whole place with a rotavator every year, yeah, it would deteriorate. But I think that there are sustainable ways of growing food. Reason, you know, I don't know whether you could use the land forever, but I think maybe we need to probably look at rotating back to trees and back to farming over like hundreds of years rather than, um, you know, having like a hundred year rotation from forestry to agriculture because the trees will build up, grass will build up fertility to an extent, like in the olden days, before chemicals, people would plough a piece of land, they'd take crops off it, they'd take wheat off it maybe the first year, and then they'd take less hungry crops, like potatoes or oats after that. And then after about four years, they'd put it back to grass to build the fertility again. And you'd build the fertility by keeping animals on it and growing grass. And then after a few years in grass, you could plough it again. Um, and I think that... That has worked for, you know, but I think farmers understand in Ireland that if you plough land, it loses fertility. And you can add that back in the form of chemicals and keep doing it. And people have been doing that for doing, you know, um, um, tillage every year on land. But I think, you know, I saw a field near here a few years ago in April. It was ploughed for a crop. And it's obviously been in tillage for a long time. And then there was heavy rain and the field was washing down the hill. Like, I don't think that would happen on a field that had been only in cultivation for three or four years and then put back to grass again. I think, you know, these, these soils that are with a lot of chemicals and ploughed and harrowed with heavy machinery all the time. Um, yeah, I think they, they there could be only 60 crops left in them. But I think they could be restored by being um, not ploughed anymore. Land can recover from a certain amount of tillage, but not from endless tillage. Sometimes when I see it as well, like, oh, my heart starts like breaking and I'm like, I just want to go out there and like give it loads of food, like as in loads of good nutritious food, like throw loads of, I don't know, like compost Any or yeah. Any seaweed or just yeah. like, I make like nettle manure I'm like I just want to spray it all over it you know and just like help it but then it's like it's colossal like the amount of they just when they do the machinery they just go on it like night after night and it's like wow like it's mad 
you know. Yeah, don't think there's there are some people doing this so-called regenerative farming. Yeah. And uh, and, and using well, they're still using fair bit of glyphosate, but they're not plowing as much. And uh, I'm not sure which is worse, the glyphosate or the plowing, if you have to choose. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. They were spraying fungicide yesterday around here and like we were working outside and I was like, ah, like I could not. It was horrible, you know. Well, well where are you? I'm down in East Cork. Oh, we're in East Cork. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, I think I'm quite lucky here because the the, far, the land isn't good enough for tillage. So the only thing people are doing is I do see a lot of orange fields because they're spraying it off to reseed. But I think I was somewhere, someone was telling me they were up in um, Waterford and they said they didn't see any bumblebees. There were no bumblebees. And, uh, and I think that's where you have a lot of tillage, big fields of tillage or just kind of intensive grass there just isn't any wildlife but luckily here there's too many rocky bits and bits that people can't really farm although they do their best to turn like rocky bits into into lawns with rock breakers and things yeah (laughs) yeah the land here is very flat like big flat fields you know it's perfect um but i do even though there is intensive farming like i've obviously the honeybees and so there's actually loads of bumbles because they're like they're smelling right. the honey and then the, I've, there's a big field of clover as well and they're all nesting in the stone ditches of you know going up the boreen and stuff so it's quite nice so they seem to be doing okay um yeah yeah and and I actually like I do this thing where I go up and I'm like what are you spraying because like somebody has to ask them you know and most people aren't using their voice and he's like oh this is um it's uh, he was saying it wasn't an aphicide, you know, because I was saying, oh, you know, I'm just looking out for my bees. Da, da, da. <laughs> um, he's like, oh, it's a fungicide. Don't worry. Da, da, da. But I like I think it's important that we ask the questions, even if it's uncomfortable, just to even make them aware. Like, what are you spraying? Can can maybe they think about it? Like, what am I spraying? You know, um, I think that's important. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um. If anybody would like to find your seeds or if you have anything to share, that would be great for anybody listening. Well, the seeds, you can buy the seeds on www.brownenveloppeseeds.com or seedie.ie, S-E-E-D-I-E dot I-E. And do yeah, have a look at seedie and see some of the other growers. And, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'd like to see them. I haven't really advertised them very much. I need to start plugging their seeds because actually... I was just the first, well, just in the first year of CD.ie. And I didn't want to like push it too hard or let it grow too fast until I could see it, it was working well. But now it, it seems to be working well. And um, um, so I think, I'd, you know, I'd, I'm, I'm looking forward to as I get my bus pass and so on to encouraging a community of seed savers rather than trying to build an empire. I could maybe put my parsnips on there. <laughs> Put your parsnips up there, yeah, yeah, That'd no be problem. Exciting. <laughs> I'll send you the link if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. Um, and I love the name of the business, by the way, and I'll give it a share on the details of the podcast. Okay, thanks, Coit. Yeah, thanks. And what, what's the name of your what's the name of your podcast? Catch caught. Catch caught. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll have a look. I have. I'm. I'm 
Yeah, not enough hours in the day. I sometimes put podcasts on going to bed, mainly to make me go asleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's I... too interesting to keep me awake. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, so thanks for coming on. Um, right. Folks, if you enjoyed this episode, please give it a share. And I will talk to you all very soon. And thank you to the patrons who are supporting my mission with nature. And if you can, please contribute on patreon.com slash catch caught. Sloan.